0: Hello everyone, well, welcome back to um, the next episode of Digestive Diaries um, and today's um, topic is going to be accessibility um, and yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be discussing what it's like um, for like an IBD kind of, in an IBD kind of world what that means to us all today um, and yeah, it, 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 it's going to be ri- ri- an important conversation um, and so what we're all going to do before we start is, um, like um, what we did last time on the first episode of the Digest we're all going to introduce ourselves. Um, well, not me, I, I think you know that. <laughs> yeah. I've, I'm going to get everyone else to have a chance. Um, I'm going to do it a bit differently this time. I'm going to go back to front um, because it's a bit different. <laughs> so Justin, just if you could start us off with your uh, lovely introduction.
1: Thank you. I'm Dan uh, and I've had Crohn since I was two, had an ileostomy for the last 14 years and absolutely loving life. And the thing that I really love to transform and help people is to thrive with their illness really fast. So what took me, you know, 20 years to figure out, I love to teach that in a couple of weeks and days, you know, um, because it, in all honesty, you know, uh it doesn't have to be a long path. And um we can always learn from each other and and make it a lot more um optimized and will make the journey a lot more faster because that's what happens with technology and innovation, right? We have people who come in and innovate and innovate to the point where it's really fast. So um yeah, that's that's the impact that I want to leave. Um, just like, you know, we had the first motor car that was uh, made and now we've got all these really fast cars and electric cars and it's very similar with our um, our you know our section as well with with disease. It's like you know this new thing and and now we're figuring out how to get through it and 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 learn to cope with it and thrive with it really fast.
0: Thanks, Justan, and yeah, um, I, I still can't believe you was diagnosed when you was two, um, as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like you kind of known Crohn's all, all your life. Um, so yeah, it's uh, thanks, Justan. So Rose, it's great to have you again.
2: <laughs>
0: Welcome back.
2: Hi, I'm Rose. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was twenty seven, um, but symptomatic since I was probably five or six. So was a very, very long road to diagnosis. Um, I recently had uh, total proctocolectomy and formation of my second ileostomy. So um, that's the barbie bum surgery, which we might talk about on another episode. But, um, yeah, I'm thriving and looking forward to what life brings without uh, constant Crohn's flares.
0: Yeah. That, that is the main thing, um, because it is so annoying, isn't it, like how often that can happen. Um, so, so, Flick, hello. Um, hello again.
3: Hello, Mason. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone that's listening. I'm Flick. I am um, an author. I wrote a book called Living Human, which is my experience with IBD and invisible illnesses and all the comorbidities that go along with that. I'm sure we're going to touch on that a little bit today and I'm a broadcaster. I host Brainwaves on 3CR as well and I spend a lot of time doing advocacy work particularly for those of us with IBD. Um, To me it's really important to bring representation to the world. There's a serious lack of representation for chronic diseases particularly those that are invisible like Crohn's or colitis. So I get out there into the media as much as I can and do a lot of you know talking or facilitating talking with other people with chronic diseases to make sure we actually have a voice and we actually get heard so i'm really thankful to be here today thanks for having me
0: thank you thank you um and it's great in it does seem like a while since we we lasted the first episode of like digestive diaries i think um it Does seem a while because before I've been on holiday and everything, so yeah. it's, 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 it's great we get to do this every month. I think it's a good way actually to have a kind of series going every month rather than every week because, like, you it's kind of a catch up really for all of us, really. Um, but yeah, um, so as, as accessibility, um, let's talk about that. Um, so within the Crohn's world, how do you think? that is really impacted for us. I
3: mean, I think probably,
2: sorry, Rosie, go. Thank you. There's so much to consider when it comes to accessibility in terms of IBD, because it's not just about finding the nearest toilets. It's about having um, access to buildings, much like people with other disabilities, because IBD can affect our mobility, um, our ability to walk upstairs. So, you know, ramps in front of buildings, handles to help us pull ourselves up, or, um, you know, generalized sort of access to everywhere is just as important to people with IBD and the comorbidities of that um, as people with other disabilities that are visible and um, affect mobility. So um, just to take me as an example, I also have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and fibromyalgia. So the pain of those really does affect my mobility. Um, I've fallen down stairs so many times through my life and, you know, you can't fall down stairs if there are no stairs. So <laughs> so having, having ramps and, um, and handles in place to, support our stability and support our movement is really important for people with IBD Um, but yeah I think the toilets is the main one and um, it's not it's not a matter of just having normal toilets too it's a matter of having disabled toilets and having the facilities that we need within those disabled toilets Um, especially as an ostomate now we need places to put our things if we have to have a bag change we need places to that that are cleaned and sanitary as opposed to going into janky looking toilets that have dirt and muck all over the floors and um and are not cleaned on a regular basis and i've found more and more often that these are not available in workplaces in medical centres, in hospitals even in some cases. So if they're not accessible in those places, what are we going to do about it?
3: Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. It's just even on the toilet front, as you're saying, there's a lot of lack of those things sort of thought about and taken care of. You know, we need to have more of those bathrooms that do have a sink, that have got actual soap, that have got, dispensers that are filled properly with our hand towels we need to make sure that there is toilet paper in the toilet I mean I think we've probably all had that experience before of going in and you there is no choice you need to go and then you find that there's no toilet paper to help you so then you're rummaging through and hoping you've got enough tissues to sort yourself out if you've had an accident which sometimes can happen you do need to be able to have somewhere to put your stuff and do a change of clothes and clean yourself up um one of my biggest pet peeves is the lights that automatically turn off after a particular period of time. Or if you're not moving for a particular period of time, I could be sitting on the toilet for an hour, quite literally. And if the lights are all off and I'm in a place that's not familiar to me and it's dirty everywhere and then I'm walking around and I'm trying to get the lights to come back on, I'm trying to find everything, all that kind of stuff is pretty challenging, but um, I even think just sort of the ventilation and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going to make us feel potentially a little bit self-conscious as well. We might be making quite a bit of smell in there because it's a long time that you're sitting there. You want to be able to use an air freshener, or have a fan, have some actual privacy for noise, those kinds of things, um, which sometimes can come with disabled toilets but not always. You know, sometimes they they don't really pay attention to those kinds of things and it is largely always dirty um, i even had the situation where the disabled toilets are locked because they don't want able-bodied people to use them. So then you're running around trying to find the person that has the key to get access to the accessibility toilet. So just those things alone, toilets that shut, you know, you show up and they should be open because you've checked, the, you've done your Google and it says the toilets will be open and they're not open. Okay, someone's come along and locked them or forgotten to open them. Those kinds of things are obviously very challenging But as you touched on, Rose, such a good point, our comorbidities, most people that I know with Crohn's or colitis have got comorbidities or they develop them in their lifetime. A lot of people deal with different kinds of pain conditions. I'm the same. I've got lupus and fibromyalgia as well, as well as adenomyosis, endometriosis and so on and so forth. So um, I've got hearing loss as well as a result of my Crohn's disease. So I wear hearing aids. So there's lots of different kinds of accessibility needs that I ultimately have. And one of the biggest ones I deal with is obviously physical pain, but that can also affect cognitive function. So similar to people that might have things like um, autism who might need a low sensory environment, those kinds of things can be really important for people with chronic diseases like IBD as well because we can get very overwhelmed with sound and stimulation and need some quiet space to be able to kind of deal with our pain and deal with our symptoms. And those things don't exist broadly anyway anyway Um, So there's a lot of those different things that, you know, should be included in basic buildings. If you want to open a corporate office, you should probably have a sensory space. You need to have accessible toilets. They need to be clean. They need to be readily available on every floor. You shouldn't have to walk from one end of the building to the other to get to a toilet. So all these kinds of things need to be more broadly thought about in architecture and design as we go forward and then retrofitted. Effectively, for a lot of the buildings that have not, you know, had those things put in place, because it's one in four people are dealing with something like what we deal with, so it's not exactly a small percentage of the population. It's effectively a quarter of it.
2: Flick, just touching on um, the design of corporate buildings. Um, the last corporate job that I had, which I finished up in March, um, had a disabled toilet with everything that was required. They had um, They had a bench, they had a full-length mirror, lots of floor space, um, you know, a a baby change table even, and, you know, everything that could be considered required in that space was there and it was fantastic. However, going back into a government role recently, um, I had a bag leak and I found that the toilets in a government-issued building were not well lit enough, were not clean enough, did not have enough floor space, did not have anywhere for me to put my things to do a bag change, Um, I ended up having to go home hanging onto my bag because I couldn't do a bag change in the workplace. And that's government, and the government is meant to be more inclusive than anywhere else.
3: And yet that is such a common conversation that I have with with other people is, is often the private spaces. And I don't know whether it's because somebody in the private space has that personal lived experience or they know somebody, so when they're thinking about it, they are thinking through these things a little bit more clearly and putting their money into it. But there are a lot of you know, government buildings and therefore a lot of healthcare because a lot of that's government funded that are really, really lacking and extremely behind um, in all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think people are just quite uninformed about it. I mean, even if you go and sit down very often with like a HR person and you try and explain to them what it is that you need or what you've noticed that could be be changed, very often, it's you're just getting this blank stare. like they could probably consider that you would be the only person asking about this, and yet there's probably people that are dealing with the same thing. They're just quietly, going about it for the same stigma and ableism reasons that the rest of us generally don't speak up about it um, because you're sort of shamed into submission effectively about talking about these things. But there's just so many people that need them. And, I mean, it's not just for us. I think that's the biggest thing about accessibility. When people hear us talk about it, they think we're talking about it only at a personal level. And yet at some point in all of our lives, if we have the privilege of age, we're probably all going to need these kinds of facilities one way or the other. My grandparents all have ultimately ended up needing rails and handles and special toilet facilities and better lighting. And all of those things have come just as a byproduct of age alone. And then you add in people that get injuries and all the other kinds of things. We all ultimately benefit from having these accessibility things talked about and thought about beforehand because none of us will really get through life without requiring something at some stage it's just that for us we need it on a more regular basis
2: that's so true and yeah i mean
3: thinking about
2: my mother in her older age she needed rails and handles and and assistance and um and it was a combination of age and chronic illness that affected her but yeah absolutely um if we're not if we're not thinking about disabled people, we need to be thinking about older people as well
0: yeah i I, I completely agree with what what you're all saying um but i I'm just joined actually listening <laughs> <laughs> l- l- listening to you guys and yeah i i I, I couldn't agree more um by the the one thing about toilets, not just toilets, like I was saying, everything in general, but whenever I go to, let's say, if I ever use a public toilet that everyone can use, um, I won't like to go in there, like, if I really need to go to a toilet, I won't like it if people are there too, like, if you use one of the, the, the toilets and then you'll have other people going in. I don't like that. I... I I I don't like hearing it. I I like to hear my own kind of thing, rather than hearing others, you know. Um, but another thing that it's really annoying when you see it really dirty, like the toilets, um, because it's just about hygiene, really, isn't it? Um, and like 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 the thing um you said as well about um the toilet roll, um. Because there will be a lot of time you go into the toilet, and that's that's not much there. And in general, it's actually hard to roll it. It's it's hard to roll it and actually find it um, on on it as well because you're rolling it, and then you see how much is left, and you've got you think in your mind like, I've got to try and use that like before I go. But if you actually really um like 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 flick said like. <laughs> You have like you actually have stuff in your bag anyway to be prepared for that kind of stuff. Well, it shouldn't be the case, really, but um, it is it is annoying, um, that there's it's not good. But the thing I think that this should be a thing where it's automatic toilet roll, where like you don't have to do it yourself, like you have like, 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 like you have the automatic uh, you can have the automatic chain, don't you? Sometimes where you just put your hand and then it. Guys. Which I like that because I don't like I don't like touching the chain because everyone touches it. Um, so I like when I do them. So why can't I do that with a toilet roll where you're just touching it and then it automatically comes out? I think that that would be a good idea um, in the future or even now.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think we that would be great. I've been to actually one to, one public toilet reasonably recently where they did have the automatic toilet paper which was brilliant. Everything else was ter- was terrible. It was horribly unclean. It stunk to high heaven. There was no soap. Like oh. it was just it was all bad other than that. But they did have the automatic toilet paper dispenser it was gr- was great. Um because otherwise you're doing you're doing and I think everyone can probably relate to this too. Um and maybe maybe women slightly more so because we probably do this even for a number one, but the hover And you're trying to use your muscle contraction to like keep yourself off the toilet. You don't want to physically make contact with the toilet because it's so dirty and we are immune compromised. So we're at higher risk for all of everything. And so you're trying to hover and then you're trying to negotiate the toilet paper. And like you said, you're digging through and you're trying to pull it out and it's coming in tiny pieces and you're trying to get it out of the machine. And you can't, you've got a bag on you, you can't put it down on the ground because it's covered in urine and whatever else. And it's like you're trying to cover everything and stop everything from dropping. And at the same time, you know, the lights are going to go off and it's just this whole whole thing and so if you're going into the toilet and you might be in physical pain and discomfort it might be very urgent you're then trying to kind of manage all of the physical things that are going on and it just amplifies I think the anxiety and the the sort of stress and the emotion of the situation so you kind of come out of it feeling a bit like you've really gone into battle just to go to actually just to go to the toilet just to come out sort of in one reasonable piece. so your head is quite muddled And, you know, you're quite flustered and sort of just feeling like you don't fit in the world because none of these things have really been considered. So I think it just really like amplifies the experience sometimes of having a chronic disease when you have to go through these things. And it sounds seemingly not that bad or like something that you can laugh at. But when it's a daily thing or when you're really in a flare or maybe you're, you're still trying to find a treatment that works for you or you're not yet diagnosed and you're going through this stuff on a regular basis, it only kind of doubles down the experience that you're actually having and making, I think, you from a mental perspective and a mindset perspective sort of feeling even less and less like a fully rounded human being. You just sort of start to feel like this thing that's being moved from spot to spot where you don't really fit And that's a very uncomfortable place to be. And it's something that comes up a lot when I talk to people with chronic diseases is is those things. It's not necessarily even the symptoms or the disease itself. It's those experiences. And that's a very minor one compared to some of the full lack of accessibility and ableism that we can talk about. But it's those experiences that double down and make their road with chronic disease significantly more challenging and makes their mindset a harder place to maintain. Um, if you removed a lot of that stuff, it would be much simpler for them to navigate the react the reality of having a chronic disease and therefore it would be easier to get to that thriving journey of thriving alongside your condition. Um, so I think it's just for people maybe that don't have that experience to kind of understand that if this is happening to you all the time, it chips away at your resilience and at your confidence and it it really does have a huge effect a, a effect on how you move through the world
1: yeah yeah um i i don't know i don't really i like, i can i can understand it and i can like i can empathize with that 100% um but also dealing with not only having a chronic illness but also being a immigrant and then also being a minority in in um you know in Australia in a in a whitewashed country and being called you know a curry munch and uber driver, and all that kind of stuff um or even being called aboriginal I got teased for being aboriginal being short and all this stuff um you know I had all the Chip stack stacked against me, not only just my chronic illness, but also, you know, the stereotypes of of the world, you know, uh, you know, of what people are, people's misconceptions and racism and all that stuff. Now, like, you know, did I go through many years of just, um, you know, my head down and feeling like I'm a really, like, have no power or being very powerless? Yeah, absolutely. But no matter how much I, you know, waddled in that, and I stayed there, it never became better. It I just became more hardened up. I became more sad, and I became more. I actually just dis- gave myself more disability, uh, than what was there because I started creating this imaginary walls around me of what the world was, and um, and and that was really sad because it didn't have to be that way, you know, it didn't, I didn't have to harden up. I didn't have to keep, you know, my, my circle small, you know, I didn't have to keep getting really upset and angry at the world because they didn't understand that, Hey, I'm not an Uber driver. Hey, I'm not Aboriginal. Hey, I'm not like this, you know? So, you know, I went through this journey of trying to fight people and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not that stereotype that you're saying. It's not good to tease people, who are Indian. Hey, it's not cool. Like, you know, being Indian is cool and you know, Oh, you know, I do have a, a chronic illness. You need to be more empathetic and understanding. And ultimately that, that in itself made my life even more worse, more worse than it was because I felt like I was not only pushed into a, into the corner and being pushed around with the doctors and things like that. But then I also saw myself as like really angry at the world And really stuck and so there's a book that I'm reading it's it's a very beautiful passage and it said it says we learn to love by having our hearts broken we learn to lead by seeing leadership in action we learn resilience not by staying upright but but by falling down we become resourceful by doing more with less and so like, I just found that such a beautiful, beautiful thing, because everything in my life at the moment, everything that has made me very powerful, or things that people look up to, is because I went through, um, I had to actually go through a really dark and hard time. And as human beings, we always do that. Uh, The difference is some people shy away from it, but some people do. And ultimately we have two options we can go through the hard time and then you know and then just go down and go that's you know the world is coming at me and and this really sucks and and stay down there or we can go you know what this is just how it is and I'm not going to try and make the world you know I'm not going to try and fit into the world because it's ultimately going to be a really difficult journey to try and fit and change everyone because it's really difficult. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to live my world in a world that's not catered for me. And what that does is brings a lot of responsibility, brings a lot of power, bring, and it reclaims all this power that's lost. So when I'm at a workplace and you know they don't have that bathroom where uh, where it's accessible for me, I had it many, many times, right? And so getting really pissed off. I'm like, all right, cool. Here's another challenge. Let me let me figure out and navigate this challenge because I've gone down the road of like trying to educate everyone and and uh, spending all the effort and energy trying to get them to understand, and it is so exhausting, you know. And it makes me so angry and so upset. And what I find is by sh- like the other way is just to shine with resilience and shine with optimism, and that's when I personally have made the biggest change in my environment in in the people that I interact with, and that's where I've affected impacted hundreds of thousands and also millions of people with my chronic illness personally, not by going around and knocking on people's doors and being like, hey, you need to look out, you need to look after people like myself. You know, I, I, by doing the talks that I've done and gone and the workplaces I've been in and the different campaigns I've been part of, I've just been shining and spraying like, hey, look, you know, we're all going through life. It's difficult. And, you know, I think sometimes we just need to be a little bit more compassionate. But like the biggest thing is being grateful that we live in this amazing uh, first world country, you know. And just that attitude itself, has really helped me impact a lot more people like I mean the other day I went to a bathroom uh, went to a facility and the guy was like I was like I need to use a bathroom and he just read me the right act he's like oh there's the public one same walking this is like dude I don't care like I actually really need to go over got a chronic illness can you just let me use your bathroom I've got Crohn's have you heard of Crohn's he goes "Oh, oh you know anyway so he was like kind of being a idiot about it. And then I was like, I was going to get real pissed off. I'm like, how ignorant is this person? But then I was like, just doesn't know any better, right? And then I thought, oh, what if I write an email to their their center? And and I did afterwards about how he treated me. But I didn't feel any good afterwards. I didn't feel any better. And even the response that I got was not like, they're like, oh, yes, this matter has been dealt with. How's it like? And the question is like, you know, how how did they deal with it? But I'm just saying that whole that whole interaction and all of that does not make me, you know, suffering with my condition any more better than what it is. It actually makes it worse because not only do I have to deal with my own emotions and my own lack of resources, but then I've also got to deal with people's ignorances and then that just makes me really bitter but the other thing is is actually the other side of it is radical acceptance and that is where I find I reclaim a lot of power we're like look this guy just doesn't know he is not educated and that's fine and is there a bathroom somewhere else probably yeah but this is where I've taken also ultimate responsibility and when I am more responsible for my condition and I'm more responsible for creating my world that makes me feel good in it that's when my happiness goes to next level and that's when I start making a really positive impact because I'm now not only just kind of I'm I'm the solution to my problem I've actually been like you know 100% responsible like I always get fatigued during the daytime and I get really used to get really upset like oh I need naps and you know my my workplace wouldn't give me a place to sleep but you know what you know they're not going to give it to me which is fine and if I keep getting upset about it I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to get anywhere with it can I fight tooth and nail to get it yes but then think about how much emotional energy is in, involved into that and so my approach is like okay I'll put a bed in my car you know and I'll learn to navigate and work around that so my life is a lot about navigating and learning to create such a happy environment for myself that I have no excuses about my illness. I can't go to someone and be like, you know, um, you need to treat me right because I've got a disability. I don't I don't do that because the more resilience I have and I figure out how to thrive in this world in my own way without getting bitter at it the more people i inspire because people look at me they're like oh my gosh like wow there's so many things that i take for granted and then it just starts to change for this society from being very like oh it's someone else's problem i need to it. it's 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 nothing to do with me through to like actually i have a lot of power i have more power over my happiness and my accessibility and my disease you know like i've gone through all the Different stuff that that everyone on the call has gone through, apart from the female stuff. But you know, I've I've spent like one hour, you know, every hour or every se- like twice twice an hour on the bathroom. You know, I've spent all those nights in hospital with the the, the beeping, and I've gone in the operations and not thought, am I going to wake up? I've I've worked in uh, offices that are hour and a half away from me, and I'm like, how am I going to get to work? You know. Um, I've gone on those uncomfortable, um, you know, uh, places where your friends go on these holidays and, and, and everyone's doing all these shots or they're going and doing these like adventure stuff, like bungee jumping or skydiving and you, and I, and I don't want to do it. I've gone through those things. And instead of just, you know, dragging my feet and being bitter about it, I'm like, (laughs) you know what, like, there's gotta be a time and place where. I'm eventually just going to accept that this is how the world at this current moment is. And the impact that I'm going to make is not by, by like getting angry, but by being that example of like, Hey, you know, this is, resilience is not just uh, pushing through, but resilience is actually making the most and being the most resourceful, responsive, responsible. And, you know, I used to go out with friends and they used to drink all the time. Another very powerful example where trying to create a systemic change was so exhausting to me and the world is so big, right? So I had all these people who were like forcing me like, come on, Justin, you need a drink. You need to keep up. Like, and I'm like, dude, I can't drink. And I kept trying to read them the riot act. I'm like, this is my chronic illness and blah, blah, blah. And eventually like, They really didn't, like they just kind of stopped inviting me out and some of them just like stopped asking me, you know, but it wasn't really a a fun environment. And so I learned different ways. I'm like, hang on a second, like these people are doing and going about having, you know, having a really nice night. I can't really drink alcohol and it really affects me and impacts me. But you know, what, what are some strategies that I can make it a win-win for both sides? Are they going to bring me empathy and understanding? No. (laughs) Right. So I can rule that out. Are they going to be understanding to my condition? No, but am I going to, what's, what, what's my ultimate outcome that I want? I want to be really happy in this moment. I want to really enjoy this moment. So I, I figured out different tactics. I figured out tactics like, you know, a short glass, if you get uh, coke in a short glass or soda on a short glass with some lime, you can just say it's a vodka lime soda because that's what alcohol is served in. And if someone, if people, a group of people are going to the bar and they're going to have shots, um, you can just go to the bathroom, or if they're going to do rounds, you can just go to the bathroom, and just excuse yourself. And and people just kind of you know work it, work around it, and don't they don't really even think about that. And so that was the moment when life started becoming a lot more pleasant and happy for me when I just started understanding things from that perspective. And so like, does it, is it, is it very unconventional? Yes. Am I not standing up for myself? I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to say, but what I do now know, now I have a whole bunch of people around me who were out, you know, who used to drink a lot of alcohol who don't drink alcohol at all. And it's not because I've like forced it down their throat saying like, you you know, this is bad to do and this is not healthy for me. It's just that like when we go out, it's not even an issue. I make it a non-issue. And then like a lot of my friends don't drink around me because they just don't feel the need to. I haven't had a conversation with them saying, you know, hey, like I don't want to drink, but I've actually seen them go from drinking a lot to pretty much drinking nothing and like even every girl I've dated they used to say to me oh look you know I have a glass of red wine every night I said okay all good no problems and then um and and these were girls who used to drink quite quite often and I didn't even make it an issue I didn't even talk about it but just how it was around I just had lots of fun uh always said now I'm okay I don't feel like a glass of wine or have a little sip and then eventually what happens is they just all stop drinking. All of them have stopped um, you know, when we we're together. And it was even when we go out, like they don't feel like having um having any alcohol because it's like we just have so much fun without it. And and these and if anything, they go, Oh, I don't actually really like the feeling of how it feels to to have to be under the influence of alcohol and things like that. So it's really Really interesting, uh, you know. The on one side, I really love advocacy. I love what people stand for, and I also feel like there is a, a powerful medium to to be a shining light in in that uh, in that area. Because ultimately, whatever problem, whatever issue that we go through, can either be our shield to push the world away and be like, back off. Or it can be our, you know, shining beacon, and that can that can transmutate and be our, you know, most beautiful blessing. Um, and and it's it's just down to an option because ultimately, no matter you know uh, what it is, it goes through those cycles. It goes through like I don't want to have this. This really sucks. I can't accept this, and then either I'm going to harden up and just don't do anything about it or push people away or I'm going to make this the most beautiful inspiring thing about me and um, that journey is always very similar but how long we make that journey and how fast we go through it is different and so um, I mean like you look at anyone and you ask them you look at something that really good at and you ask them how did you really get good at that and or even ask yourself think about something that you're really good at and ask yourself where did I where did that, where was that origin story? And why did I, like what happened that made me want to go down this path? Very often not, you'll find that it came from an adversity. So that way, if if that's the case, and you've got a lot of adversities, think about how much superpowers or potentials are waiting on the other side of it.
3: I really, it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that, Justin. I think I resonate with certain parts of it, definitely, particularly what you just said there at the end. I think there is a lot of amazing stuff that comes from adversity. I know there's a number of things that I've done in my lifetime that I would not have done without the adversity that I've faced. I know that. I've definitely faced that, and it's built a lot of resilience. But I would say that my experience is probably a little bit different in terms of how I've gone about living my life. I definitely can resonate to some of the things you're talking about, like with the drinking and, and doing those exact same um, techniques, I guess, uh, for want of a better word, of kind of making it through and doing all that kind of stuff. For me personally, that just may, actually made my life more challenging. It didn't make it easier for me. Um, it created a sense of me hiding and being really scared of using my vulnerability. And what I've actually found is that by saying what I need, I have number one, created a group around me of people that actually understand and are genuinely empathetic and it's in equal measure. They feel like they can share with me the things that they would hide from other people. So when we catch up or when we create catch-ups and things like that, it is with everybody's needs taken care of. So it's a really comfortable and safe space for everybody where our vulnerability is exposed and held with care and that's been a really powerful space for me to be. So what I've done is I've gone through the hard stuff, which is effectively eliminating a lot of people from my life that I had to create techniques to be around them. I didn't want to do, for me, that consumed energy for me, creating those techniques and pretending to find ways to, to do things that, you know, where I was, and it was not specifically about asking for empathy or even asking them, to talk about my disease or any of those kinds of things but it was an energy consumption for me and it was quite toxic for me to have to pretend and mold myself and use different techniques in order to be who I actually am i've found it a lot easier to be the person that speaks up and says this is what i need so if i organise a catch up now for example hey hey do you want to catch up yeah cool all right um i'm going to need it to be somewhere that's outdoors or that has really good ventilation because i'm immune compromised yep no worries And then they'll say to me, okay, cool, but I need it like this, boom. And then we come up with a plan and we do it. So it's been really a very confidence-building experience for me to say what it is that I need for my health and my condition. But I do understand that there's also a very fine line and it's a very two-pronged thing when it comes to kind of advocacy and speaking up. Not everybody in the world is designed for that. They're just not. And that's the truth. I've come across a lot of people. For a lot of people, that is energy-consuming. It is very toxic. It actually makes their situation worse, and I respect that. For me, it's been very empowering. So there's some people find it very empowering and very easy to do. Some people find it very challenging and and like a big drain, like it sucks their energy, their life force out of them. So I fully get that. I also think there's a fine line as well in terms of you can speak up about certain things, but you also need to have such self-awareness that you know when you've gone as far as you can go. You know that the, the the battle that you're fighting maybe is the right one for you and then know when it's time to pull back and go, I'm these people are not going to get to where I need them to get to. So I either have to accept the situation, that's the radical acceptance, and deal with it this way or I need to walk away from that because it's not serving me, right? So there's it's kind of a fine line thing. So I think everybody, and again, I see this a lot when I speak to people on the radio, some people find it really empowering and draining. Other people find it, you know, like everyone's got their own reaction to doing that kind of stuff. But I think with everybody, a big part of it, and particularly with a chronic disease anyway, building that self-awareness is such an essential skill and it's something that you will continue to do throughout your life. It's not a one-and-done situation because even with age or in the moment, understand how you can navigate that situation, how it's going to serve you but potentially also serve other people really well. Um, and sometimes that is saying sometime, something and sometimes it's saying nothing at all, right, and, and knowing how you can fit into that situation I think is a big part of how you can navigate that and also understanding your own relationship with the words and the things that people label you with. Some people are very uncomfortable with the word disabled. Some people don't want to be considered disabled at all because there's a connotation with that for them. And that's their own thing that they need to work through and unpack. And other people find it very empowering because they feel like they belong and they want to change the the connotation with that word, you know, and so on and so forth. So there's all these different things that kind of come up as you go and we each navigate them in a way I think that hopefully makes us feel confident and empowered and I think we all get to our place of acceptance in our own way but I think it's a case of like being self-aware enough to know what works for you and some of what you said Justin definitely works for me and some of what you said doesn't work for me and it's I think you would be the same with the way that I live my life it would be some would be yes and some would be no and Rose would be the same and same with you Mason But it's just being able to kind of acknowledge where you're at and decide what is actually right for you. And if you work at that, that's probably one of the best things that's going to come out of actually having a chronic disease in the first place is that it gives you a reason to invest very, very heavily in your self-awareness and therefore understand your body and understand your mind. I think a lot of people go through life having a reasonable experience of it they might not have any chronic conditions. They might find themselves repeating mistakes over and over again, and never knowing why they do it, because they they don't have the opportunity that real like glaring opportunity in their face every day that says, "You need to work some stuff out." And so they kind of just move through life. And I think it's actually somewhat um, a beautiful benefit that we get is that we get to work on these things because we have to if we want to work out how to thrive with these conditions. That's a really key thing that we have to do so it's it's not all doom and gloom it's not all a suffering story some of it is actually like these challenges do help us to learn things and to fortify ourselves in other ways but there's also some stuff that we can do if we feel like we're the right person to do it and it suits where we're at in our life to stand up and say this thing actually should change because it doesn't just affect me it affects millions of other people in all these different ways so it's striking that balance by using your self-awareness that you've got by investing in it in the first place. So it's kind of picking where your energy goes, I guess, right? Because we've all got energy limiting conditions here. It's picking where your energy goes and um deciding what's right for you. So just then to add to- Sorry,
2: Justin, oh, sorry. you go. You go. Go.
1: No, no, you go, you
2: go. I was just going to say that um you uh definitely very inspiring justin and you know um a lot of my positivity has come from you my my perception of this um issue with accessibility is that yes i can fix this problem myself by either you know better equipping myself for those instances or removing myself from the situation um uh, I think I've done a combination of the two uh, for me, but I also, every time something happens to me, I stop and think: if this is what it's like for me, what is it like for somebody who is going through more than I am? Because I, I've, I'm always of the mindset that, yes, while this is probably a bad um, experience or a negative experience. And, um, and and it's something that I've gone through and I'm going to learn from and move forward from, what if someone doesn't have that same fortitude as me? What if someone doesn't have that same strength as me and is going through a really difficult patch and just crumbles at the idea of not having an accessible toilet? Um, you know, I'm always thinking of those people as well because I know that um, you know, for me, oh, that toilet's dirty. It's not accessible. Okay, move on with my life. Not everybody has that same sort of perception, and um, and I kind of, I've, I've always wanted to fight for that person. So that's that's where I'm coming from.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's really important. You know, like um, you know, and and I definitely, I, I you know, I think that's where I. I definitely can relate uh, in, in a different sense, um, you know, going through this whole journey, right. Giving like, you know, where someone has, is going through something more difficult than I am. That's uh, like say a child or who's going through that moment where their parents are trying to dictate their, their uh therapy for them like what what uh what biologic should they take or what uh medication should they take and they feel like they're being pushed around like a porn like in that sense I, I i like um i feel like what i want to do is equip people more with a mindset you know of like how do you what is the what is that resilience mindset uh you know, that, that we can adopt because yes, absolutely. There are people always that are going to be worse than us. And, you know, thinking about that, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the city right now and there's a shitty toilet. I can kind of get by, but what if someone was even worse than me, you know, and what would they be thinking? What would they be feeling? You know, those things often do very much go through my mind. And I think to myself, like, what if that person had like that resilience mindset where they would be very agile and be able to like duck and weave and 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 figure out like a really good place to go to the bathroom and other different strategies you know like there's many times where with my bag I've 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 had a bag leak many times in the beginning i remember i left uh i left the hospital and then that very same uh, weekend so like three days later my friend's like let's go to the city let's party I'm like yay I'm gonna go to the city and then I went to Starbar which is in the I don't know if it's open or not anymore and I went in there and I'm like I'm not letting this hold me back right and then I had my stitches in there I definitely shouldn't have been out shouldn't have done any of it and then I had um I had my staple sorry and then I had a bag leak. I'm like, oh my god, I've got a bag leak. All right, what am I gonna do? And I kind of like got some toilet paper and 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 shoved it in there. And I was like, oh, I turned to my friend Patrick. And Patrick, like, I need to like fix my bag. He was, he's like, what? Do we need to go home now? I'm like, no, no, I'm not going home. I need to fix this. So we went to like um, the convenience store. We bought duct tape. And so we put duct tape around my bag to seal it. Right. And so I didn't realize that there were seals, right? And then I, I also didn't realize like how often I needed to empty my bag. And I also didn't realize like how difficult it would be. So then these were all the learning opportunities for me to go, okay, there's a really big problem. I shout myself and I'm in the middle of the city. What the hell do I do? And I broke that problem into many small problems. And that's what I really wish that I could, well, that's what I, I train people or teach people to do is like be able to take a big problem and make them really small little problems. Cause when they're small little problems, then they're really easy to deal with. And then we can start to go, all right, cool. Like this let me see this world in a fun way, you know. So I figure out the seals and I figured out, okay, when I go to the city, potentially I need to empty my bag before and in the middle and after. And if I have a big meal, like okay, cool. I'm not gonna, you know, um I'm not gonna yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to have a big meal and then go for a really long drive because it's a bit silly if I'm going in the middle of nowhere, right? So I definitely can understand and relate. And I think that um instilling that mindset with people who have a, who have a chronic illness or a disability or, or whatnot is really important because then we, don't feel like we're being pushed up against the wall but we feel like we're these superheroes with superpowers walking around you know so like and 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 I'll ask this question right because it comes up quite a bit and I've dealt with it quite a lot myself with a disability how do you how how do you a go about getting a job and b what do you think you can do What do you think the ceiling is when it comes to or the limitations when it comes to um getting work with a disability
2: well that disability really Hmm. so i mean for me i i know that i'm highly qualified highly capable um could do just about anything that i wanted to because i have the skills the ability um, I interview really well and I uh, have a very, very strong work ethic and an attitude towards work that most people who are fully able-bodied don't even have. So for me, yeah, personally I could do anything. Um, someone who is in a wheelchair would not be able to do certain things because you know their mobility is affected by it. Um, you know, actually, you know what, I probably wouldn't be able to do a lot of physical types of jobs because my mobility is affected, but, you know, I'd probably give them a red hot go if I really wanted to. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's disability is different. So, their capacity to do a particular type of job would be different. Um, Like, I wouldn't want to be a garbage man because I don't want to have to deal with heavy bins, Things like that, so yeah. Hmm. I mean, every- I kind of the
3: same. Yeah, like yeah. heroes, probably. I can do just about anything that I put my mind to, just because I. And again, part of having disability is taught me how resilient I am, how much leadership skills I've got, how capable I am of doing things on the fly and adapting to change. Like all of those kinds of things have come partially as a byproduct of having a disability. So I'm very aware of what my skills are. But one of the reasons why I've gone out independently on my own to do my own thing and I no longer work in an office environment or a corporate environment in that way, unless I'm going in, I go in and run workshops for the people, I do keynote speaks, like that kind of stuff, coaching, but that's on my own terms, it's on my own design, it's for the amount of time, the way that I can do it. You know, I get to set the rules effectively. And a big reason why I did that is because I did come up against a lot of issues that were based on people's perception of me and my disability. So I would have two things. I would either not tell them about my disability at all because I knew that it could limit my ability to get hired in the first place and that's the truth. I've been through that. Um, So then you don't tell them anything about it at all but then they eventually learn because, hey, you've spent a lot of time in the toilet this week or you've used up all your sick leave quite quickly in the first few months of working here or I would get sick with everybody's cold and cough and whatever that they would they would still, you know, do the old take a codgerel and soldier on and come into the office and spread their germs everywhere and I would go down with sicknesses over and over and over again. So they would very quickly work out that something with my health was not right, you know, quote, unquote. It was not normal. Um, and as a result of that, even though the output of my work was really good, the results that I would achieve were really good, my ability to, you know, learn Like an entire job in a workplace within a couple of weeks, which would normally take other people months or years, was a common thing for me. So I would often be very impressive in the interview. I would be very impressive in the first month or so because people would be like, geez, she's got a brain, she can do stuff, she adapts, she learns really quickly, she's polite, she does it, blah, 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 good work work ethic. And then it would become obvious that I've got a health condition Mm -hmm. or Even if they knew about it, it would become, yeah, okay, well, this is what the health condition is, and that's when I would run into the issues. It would be I wouldn't get offered the promotion. I wouldn't be able to be the person that got to speak at the board meeting, even though I was the one that had done the work. I wouldn't get any kind of, you know, recognition for the work that I was doing. Um, Very quickly I would be considered the one that was unreliable, even though I was often still the one doing the most work with the best outcome attached to it. So I would get overlooked, overshadowed, spoken over, spoken for. Decisions would be made for me about what, my, what I could or couldn't do because they would decide, well, she's sick. So we're not going to put her in that project. We're not going to have her involved in that thing. We're not going to put her in, you know, and so on and so forth. So I found that that's where it came. It was not coming from me. It was coming from other people's perception of what it means to be sick or disabled. It was coming from their perception then of what they thought that meant I was capable of even though I had the proof that I was very, very capable, even though I was getting the results, I was actually directly making them money, Um, they couldn't quantify those two things simultaneously in their minds because it wasn't their lived experience. It's something they hadn't been educated on. They had their own internal biases or ableism or whatever that that is with culturally or in their community or whatever it was. And so that limited my ability to get where I knew I could go so I make a choice between am I going to keep repeating this pattern and have this ceiling placed over the top of me over and over and over again and that was for me was very energy draining and very toxic or do I go out on my own and make my own career and set it to my own rules and my own time and my own design and I've been significantly more successful doing it that way the latter way than I did in the corporate environment so you know Again, I don't think that with most people that I know who are disabled, whether it's mobility issues or energy-limiting conditions or immune-compromised or whatever, they are generally very, very capable. Obviously, there might be need to be some provisions that are made to make that more accessible for them. If that's provided for them, no issue whatsoever. Everything goes along really smoothly.
1: So if you see, so, I mean, I like for people who are listening to this, like, they would say, Flick, that's all good. You've got your own business. You don't have to deal with it, right? But what Mm -hmm. would you say to those who are actually going through that themselves, you know, and they're still in that corporate environment?
3: Well, there's a couple of different things. First of all, this is where that self-awareness thing comes down to it as well. Hopefully you're spending some time really building that and understanding what it is that you can do, what you want to do, what you're good at, what you're capable of what things work for you, what things don't work for you, that's going to be a big part of how you navigate all of this because that also is a big part of your mindset. Having that kind of self-awareness fortifies your mindset. So from there, you've got to decide what's going to be right for you. Do you go and actually pursue it with your human resources person or your manager and have a conversation with them about, this is what I'm dealing with, educate them on it, this is what I need, da-da-da-da. For some people that works really well and for some workplaces it's actually a really good thing. They're like, we didn't know, now we do. We can put that all together. How do you want us to navigate this with you? Great. If they let you be in the driver's seat alongside them, fantastic. For other people, they might not be in a workplace environment where that's okay at all. Maybe they've witnessed other things where people with other disabilities or chronic conditions, it's not gone well for them by doing that kind of stuff. Again, you've got to decide, you know, if that's something that you're going to pursue or not. Obviously, you can develop your own little techniques to make certain things work for you, but there are certain aspects of your condition, for example, with ours, where there might be a lack of control over what you can and can't do in that way. You're not always going to know the day that you're going to have a flare. You're not always going to know whether that's going to be right before a board meeting that you were meant to be in. You're not necessarily going to know if you're going to be on the toilet for an hour and a half or not. So it depends on on what things that you can navigate around but there are some things that you probably can't navigate around and that's just the truth of having a chronic condition so then it comes down to how do you mentally and emotionally deal with that and process it Um, and i think that's a big thing as well make sure that you've got some coping strategies in place for when those unexpected things do come up for how you're going to deal with it personally but also how are you going to deal with that in your workplace Is there a person that you trust in your workplace or a relationship you can form in your workplace that you can go to and have that discussion or, you know, feel like you can vent a little bit or just know it's a safe space for you to do X, Y, and Z? Um, You can do... I mean, I did little cheeky things over the years where when I wasn't talking about it and I was trying to fly under the radar because being open in a couple of workplaces hadn't worked very well for me, where I designed it effectively so that my desk could be quite close to the corridor where the toilets were or it could be quite close to where the kitchen facilities were. So I knew I could go and get a glass of water or a cup of tea or a snack or whatever it is that I needed to help me with my energy Um, or I would find myself a little cosy spot and I would book things out, you know, like a little, uh, we had rooms where you could take a phone call, like a very small little room, and those would be rooms where I would book like a little time in my calendar in advance over the week. I could go in for a 20 minute like little rest and people thought that I was actually going in there to do work and I would have it on my calendar so if someone looked at my calendar it's all blocked off oh you can't book a meeting with her then and I would be off having my little fatigue break and I would train my body somewhat accordingly like okay you hang on a little bit in an hour I've already set aside 20 minutes for you to go and like have a quiet spot all the lights off you know just take a breather I would take my laptop on and So it looked like I was doing stuff, but I would be doing like meditation and breathing and doing the things that I needed to do to get me through that day. So you can devise strategies. You can do stuff that helps you to fly under the radar. You can also confront and have a discussion about it. Again, unless I know you and I know your workplace and your circumstances, I can't give you the specifics of what may potentially work for you. But I think having that self-awareness, helps to fortify your mindset and allows you to know what is right and what is wrong for you. Then you can decide how you're actually going to navigate that situation for yourself. Starting a business is not easy. I'm not going to say that that was a simple transition to go from one thing to the other. It wasn't, all right? It absolutely wasn't. I've done a lot of things that are very, very challenging and not everyone is positioned to be able to do that kind of stuff. So it's not the only option for you. You want to keep working in your workplace environment but you also need to know what you're willing to put up with and what um takes from you and what gives back to from you and that's a big question i've asked myself over and over again as i'm navigating challenges or projects or workplaces or whatever it is does this thing take from me more than it gives to me if the answer is yes it's taking from me more than it gives to me then something has to change it's either going to be the environment. The people or something about how i'm navigating it but something there needs to change if it's it's actually ultimately giving me more in the long run than it's taking from me then it's a case of me coming to a place of acceptance potentially about that particular scenario so that's kind of how i navigate that um and have navigated that over the years and i find that those strategies tend to work pretty well i've got again coaching clients that go through those sorts of things over the years um, but it is, you know, if you don't have that self-awareness in the first place, that's going to be the biggest challenge, no matter what circumstance you're in, even whether it's a workplace or a home environment. So I would definitely recommend people investing in getting to know who they are, warts and all, so then you can work out how to navigate your world.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree. Um, I completely agree what everyone said. I was saying here for a while because I'm just sitting here and hearing what you guys want to say um it is it, 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 it is very nice to have a i don't know just to listen um kind of like everyone who's listening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or even watching everyone um but like for me uh, uh like like with women work like um like i think like i've never had like a proper job really um because of like I've only kind of just started coming to do stuff like outside because like a pandemic and everything, COVID. Um, it's only probably these last couple of months I've done that. And I've probably started to meet friends and and, and, and probably go out a bit more than, than than I have in probably three years. Um so I've done that for a while now and and like things have to be accessible so when i meet people i i tell them have you got a bug are, are you ill or anything even the minor thing um and it, people in general when you say that i haven't got covid but i don't care i don't i don't i'm not worried about you got covid i'm worried about if you got anything <laughs> so I, I i always met those things like if i go into because um in the town where I live, they do this um, really nice decaf coffee machine. Well, it's not just for decaf; it has um, they have normal coffee as well. But I always I get the uh, the the um, the chocolate um, coffee mocha, and I have it all the time. And then it's will it, it, and, like people will be buying their drinks at the bar, and I'm there just to get my coffee cup. Uh, I, I buy my coffee cup. or go to the machine and then I will go there with a a friend. Um so like 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 with like just to understand about drinking idea of going out and drink with your mates. To be honest, even if I didn't have Crohn's, it wouldn't interest me. It's not one of those things I'm interested going to have a drink. I will, don't get me wrong, if my Crohn's is okay, um and it's in a good place, if it's a special occasion, um, if it's a wedding or a birthday if I'm if I'm okay I'll have maybe a few drinks um when, when it was my brother's wedding in 2021 or it might have been yeah it, it would have been in 2021 sorry sorry brother if you're listening <laughs> if I got that wrong um but I did have a, a few drinks and I, I did I did drop a glass that day <laughs> but yeah um but it's it's not it's not something that I would do I've got friends. I do have friends that do that quite a lot. They go, out, they go out and they'll do that. If that's in, if that interests them, that's fine. Um, but that's the annoying thing sometimes. If you go out and like maybe go and night no, a night out with your friends, and they think, oh, let's just go and get drunk. That's the whole thing. I I, I would much rather meet in the daytime, do an activity like like for a Flick said about going out. Um, like an outdoor. I I would rather go out, um, outdoor as well, because like a space, um, like like you don't have to have much in place, um, for the your best for the best for you. It's almost like you can just it's it's, it's the air it's it's the outdoor air because if if you're inside it can be a bit tougher where so if you're if I'm at this, like, like, going back to where I have my coffee, um, uh, well, where, where, where I go for that, I go and look if there's many people around. I'll go with someone that's there's not many people around. Uh, maybe pick a Sunday because that's not a busy day. Um, really. Um, and like with um, like with I, I, I accessibility, uh, like Flick you said at the start about like like autism and IBD um and I think that it's very relevant actually um because um I know about four people or not, I, it includes me and maybe five um for three or four people that actually have Crohns and autism um and that's very rare like uh, like in, in my case you have autism or you are you have crohns and you might have colitis um and IBD um and and it is very rare and then Oh, like have Crohn's and autism. And the funny thing is, every one of them are people I know has got diagnosed with autism first and then Crohn's later on in life. Um and I thought, we and we actually did an episode together um a while ago, it might have been last year, where I wanted to get all us all together do an episode together because it 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 it, it was really rare. And um I, I, I literally asked everyone when we should diagnose with autism when we diagnose with crimes autism or, or first and I thought that that's bizarre well it's coincidence because we're the only ones that have it and then, but yeah I I think that's really relevant um in a way um because I think it might um I think personally I I, I think with when we do get diagnosed with crimes I just and you got diagnosed with you too but for for those of us that may have not been diagnosed at two Um, that maybe got diagnosed maybe a bit later on in life. Um, I got diagnosed when I was um, 16, turning 17. Um, And I I, I always think that I I had stuff when I was younger, like, because I I always bring up the scenario where I, the the biscotti bolognese, um, I used to love that as a kid. I, I used to always ask to have it. And then this one time, i I couldn't like I was it was almost like I was being sick when I was eating it, but and I loved it i it was one of my favorite meals as a kid, and then for some reason, boom, can't have it i, I got stomach problems, but not nothing was known about dental crimes like I didn't, you wouldn't think of it as it's just a stomach bug um and then I always think back to the, that 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 bit when I was younger because I think it's a gene thing I think I think you gene in your own gene <laughs> um, because not no one else is gene because there's things that it could be families it, it's weird you know because some families have it, it goes in the family, some families it don't but yeah I think it's a gene within your own gene, I think we do have it when we're younger but we just don't know about it yet um, I, th- I think it works that way but who knows I don't think we're ever going to know <laughs> maybe one day
3: I had all sorts of weird stuff. If I look back now as a kid, it's so funny because my mum my has got like a, and maybe this is a parental thing, I don't know. She's almost got kind of like a blanket view of my early childhood, let's say up until 10 or 11. And she always said, oh, you were such a healthy kid. And I look back and go, no, I wasn't. I really, <laughs> I really wasn't because I had all these things going on, but because they didn't, there's just a lack of understanding often even the medical professionals have when it comes to our conditions. They're just not trained very much on, like I've I've actually spoken to a couple of um, people that are studying in recent times to become doctors. And conditions like ours, they attend one lecture. That's it. So they don't have broad understanding of what it is they don't speak to people with lived experience if they're going around the hospital very often it's that the registrar is speaking the other doctors are speaking about the patient it's not very often that the patient is speaking for themselves so I think there's a general lack of understanding especially in kids as well it's just not something that is sort of broadly on the idea like people don't like to think that children can have a chronic disease so I think that sort of puts a bit of a lens over it in the first place and I look back now and go like I used to get all these huge I'm talking like huge big thick cracks all through the base of my feet they were like one to two centimeters deep and really wide and they would just bleed like the bottom of my feet were just cracked open my hands would be cracked open so I'd have all these skin problems and I would have all these kind of I would always feel weird after eating certain types of food but then it was always put down to well you probably just you know like with a kid thing or you had too much sugar or you had too much like so a lot of the things were just sort of fobbed off or ignored um to some extent there were all these like outlier pieces of the condition um what do they call them Extraintestinal manifestations I think is what they actually refer to them of for IBD so I had all of those as a kid and then it was sort of like like what you were talking about Mason I, I can distinctly remember having had a Piece of crumbed fish. Well, you know, those like the fish that is like frozen, it's got crumbs on it. And obviously, it's like covered in gluten and whatever. And we had that for dinner. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was really, really unwell. And everyone just assumed it was a stomach bug. So did I. I was on school holidays. And then this stomach bug just never went away. And it just kept on getting worse. And this more and more symptoms kept appearing. And everyone kept on sort of assuming, oh, okay, it's not a stomach bug. It must be like, like a bacteria, maybe you've got like a worm, you know, like so we started kind of going through all of that sort of list and then it was she's just too sensitive, it's probably hormones and, again, this is where kind of that female side, I guess, of that, again, that, that bias was was coming through is it's just emotion, it's just hormones, it's just da 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 and all that kind of stuff. But I sort of look back now and go all of it was there, it's just that no one had placed the pieces together and I think it was probably me as the person living it that was putting all those pieces together. Like by the time I was only a couple two or three weeks into kind of the stomach bug, um, I'd already put all the pieces together. Like I'd already gone back through all of it. We had this big red textbook in our house that was like a medical textbook. And I would be up during the night so unwell, with every all the doctors saying to me, and even my own family saying to me, Are oh, you just being sensitive today? And I was, and I knew it was, no, I'm not being sensitive. There's something here. And it makes sense. There's a picture here and I'm going to put it all together. And I actually found Crohn's disease in the big red textbook. And it was only like a one paragraph thing. But I knew just from reading that I've got Crohn's disease. And I remember going to the doctors like, it's Crohn's disease, guys. And no one would believe me. And it took years. Like it took quite literally years to kind of get that to come all together. But I think very often we're aware of all of that stuff and we even as a kid, we're probably navigating all of that and creating our own techniques for coping with it and, like, navigating things, you know, and creating all that resilience and um, dealing with that lack of accessibility in different ways. Like, for me, I had to change different types of shoes and stuff to deal with what was going on with my feet, feet, so I couldn't go into a normal store and buy normal shoes. Like, that's, like, all these things. (laughs) So it's just, like, it all kind of weirdly comes up, I think, for all of us. and not everyone obviously has that that experience i know but a lot of people i've spoken to will look back and kind of go yeah i can look back to when i was 5 or 6 and i knew that there was there was stuff that was definitely not quite right back then but we just didn't we just couldn't put it all together as one big piece until it became really severe like so it's severe enough that you actually had to be put in hospital for example that's when sometimes the the official puzzle starts to get put together by other people, but very often we're aware that the puzzle exists before that point. Yeah, I, I um I completely agree. With,
0: like it, it 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 it's just um things are really unexpected. Um with crimes um and i believe in general and, and life and life is unexpected um unfortunately unfortunately um certain things happen and then and the order that you don't want it to i think um but um yeah
3: but that's also part, yeah. part of the challenge of it though right like i mean that is part of the fun of life like none of us go through it unscathed you know we all end up in the same place at the very end of it <laughs> so you know we've we've all got our own Um, journey to go on I think just maybe ours is a little bit more in your face obvious that there's additional stuff going on Um, and those again those comorbidities that we mentioned whether it's diseases or mental health conditions or you know and it can be then like what Justin you've spoken about like the additional things that come with the package that we have no choice in we don't get we don't choose the country that we're born in or the culture that we're born into we don't choose the colour of our skin or any like any of it, right? So we're going to each have our own set of things that comes with that that we then have to navigate as well. Some of us are going to have more of that. Some of us are going to have less than that. that but we're all going to have a whole bunch of things to to work out as we go. And I think, yes, the world can definitely be much more accessible and I think the more that we talk about this, yeah, it should be it should be thought about because it's not just us. There's millions of people that have different needs. Um, but by the same token, we can also become more self-aware and that's something that we can do. That part of it is something that we can do on our own and we can continue to invest in. And that's a lifelong investment. So I really hope that everyone does that. It can be a really beautiful journey getting to know yourself and what actually makes you tick, I think. If nothing else, do that with your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, I agree. Um, But, guys, I think that's a good way to end it, actually, um, this episode um, because we spent so long, (laughs) I think. um, (laughs) We've done so good um, the amount of time. This might have been extended the time. that I can't remember how long the first episode was that that we'd done Digestive Diaries, but uh, I think this might uh, be up there with similar time or even longer, um. But thank you to Justin Flick and, and Rose um for for coming on um today, um and then and thank you to people watching and listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've listened to even a little bit, it watched it all. Um, thank you. Um, and we will be um, we'll be back again um in the next episode um in the next few months. Um because this is a, a monthly kind of theory, so we're not gonna have one every month, we're gonna have one every few months. Um I think the last one was June. Well it went out in June, but I think we did it in like May around we recorded it around May time. We we tend to record first and then a month or so later the episode will go out. So so at the moment it's um is August. Um and, and for you guys listening and watching, it's September. Um, the end of September. So that's how we do it it's all like you know, it's like you're in time going wrong but but yeah <laughs> um thank you to Justine, Flick and Rose um and to everyone listening and watching we hope you've enjoyed it and good night good morning good afternoon
3: whatever time it is for you <laughs> bye everyone thanks Mason take care bye